0: you're listening to a podcast from the media motel coming up this week in episode 530 the return of curb your enthusiasm
1: memorable supporting characters in sitcoms and should shock jocks be less shocking that's all coming up after the enemy and away from here i'm so sick 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 tired of working just to be retired i don't want to that bar. I don't want your company car. Promotions ain't my thing. Name badges are not interesting. As much easier for me to stay at home with Richard and Judy. Well, well, home, home, right down here. This band had such wonderful energy, no surprise to learn that The Clash and Oasis were massive influences on their Mm. music. One of six singles taken from their first album from 2007, number eight in the UK, The Enemy and Away From Here.
0: I like this entry in your continuing series of indie bands that have had unexpectedly loads of hits without anybody particularly (laughs) realising in some cases. Yes, I like that very much. I did like The Enemy. They didn't really break out of the sort of lots of bands of that era at the time, I think, really. But I I do like them a lot. I think time should be kinder to them than it is.
1: Yes, agreed. Welcome to the Parish Council. It's episode 530. I'm Terence Stackham and thank goodness she's gone back an hour in time. It's the Queen of Halloween. It's Juliet Harris.
0: Thank you very much. I spent the, uh, like you say, I spent the hour sleeping in a coffin. That was very nice to catch up on uh, on my beauty sleep or lack thereof. Anyway, hi everyone.
1: I find it quite amazing that Curb Your Enthusiasm has now been running for over 20 years, which is (laughs) way over double the time span of the nine years of Seinfeld or the show on which Larry David made his name and propelled him towards Curb. Um, Larry David, he already looked quite old when he was a teenager (laughs) carrying the weight of the world on his shoulders. And strangely, he hasn't aged much since then or certainly since his Seinfeld days. Um, I suppose I should declare that Curb Your Enthusiasm is my favourite television show of all time. And so I was delighted that this week in both the US and the UK, the first episode of season 11 was broadcast. Having watched this episode, The Five Foot Fence, Jules,
0: do you share my joy? I do share your enthusiasm for this, yes. I, am, I, I Curb Your Enthusiasm is one of those programmes that I've always approved very much of, because I approved very much of Larry Davis, and I've sort of dipped in and out a bit. So... Uh, Having said that, I didn't feel like I suffered particularly from not knowing all the sort of storylines in this. We were sort of dropped in at the beginning. It is almost baroque in its excellence, I think, (laughs) of your enthusiasm, in that it is always on the edge of being unwatchable just because (laughs) it is just so kind of tense, even though it's often... I mean, I laughed out loud through much of this. I thought it was so good. And it, it hinges on the fact that Larry David... Uh, and also, uh, in fact, every character in this is sort of dreadful, aren't they? Really, they <laughs> yes. do they do terrible things. They they yeah. have morals that are extremely flexible, to put it bluntly. <laughs> I don't want to spoil too much of the storylines in this because it is so good that I really don't want to uh, don't want to sort of interfere with that. But there were some excellent. The thing I love about the the cameos in this is that the celeb cameos never feel self congratulatory, and it's never like kind of oh look here's a famous person being famous. John Hamm and Lucy. Lou both made appearances and were both excellent in their own kind of ways. Uh when when Larry David in uh, it says, Oh, I'm on a third date with Lucy Liu, I thought it was gonna be like some nickname or something. And then actual Lucy Lou is in yeah. the car. I mean, I I I very much enjoyed this. I thought it was very funny. And actually the thing that makes it work is that actually most of the time Larry David is in the right, like it or not. He just yeah. doesn't always express that in a particularly good way. But um, um, I, I love the storyline in this I love the fact that that Albert brooks in it wants to have a living funeral and it, and it and it ends predictably in chaotic results and it is it I mean I just I just thought the writing in this is just so good and the way that they weave the storylines into each other as well and they they interact there's some very enjoyable stuff involving a glass door which you'd think is slapstick and it sort of is but there's a bit more of a there's a mm. bit more of an to it than just basic slapstick. It's difficult, again, to say too much without uh, w- without giving stuff away. But I, I, I love the fact that, that everybody that is awful in it has a moment where they were in the right despite themselves and it's usually at the, at the the at the expense of someone else who is awful most of the time i mean it is i i just really like it it's it's just it's really good fun and it is quite truism in that we're i feel like we're all larry david really just trying to bumble through life and having to deal with life in spite of other people i do i do identify a lot with him i must admit my friend often teases me when when unusual and bizarre things happen in my life, which is pretty frequently it has to be said, and always she says uh, in this week's episode of Jules, your enthusiasm yeah. and I, do, and I do and there are moments where I do feel that Me myself and Larry David are as one um and even though it is set in a world of Sort of rich people. There's a there's a swimming pool storyline that's quite central this week. I it never annoys me just because it's it's got such a kind of a, an occasional sourness about it that I quite <laughs> admire really. So now I enjoyed this very much. If you're able to watch things that are a bit, I did have to pause it a couple of times to gather myself. I must admit, but if you are someone that's able to put up with stuff that is sort of a bit cringy, then it is great.
1: Yeah, one of the, one of the cleverest aspects of the writing of Curb is that while Larry gets himself into the most, um, yes, cringe-inducing <laughs> or anger-raging situations. He has such an edge of humanity as well and fallibility that we just yes. have to love him and laugh he's with the him.
0: Ultimate, he's the ultimate anti-hero, isn't he? Yes, really, I
1: exactly. Think. I mean, so, so, I think so many viewers must say, I'm just like that. And even more must sometimes yeah. wish they had Larry's capacity for outspokenness. Uh, yeah, this first <laughs> yes. this first episode of season 11, it was a fine example how – how other shows might attempt similar story arcs, but only Larry can achieve that that yes. mixture of rage at being wrong to being blamed for other people's actions. And then that's married up with the guilt he carries for so many <laughs> misunderstandings. I mean, even even the notion that this new season is going to be based around a, a story of Larry. Pitching a series called Young Larry to Netflix is <laughs> enough to make movie. me chuckle just at the possibilities. Uh, and also, it genuinely
0: this? sounded like a really good show. i <laughs> yes, yes. I mean, which is which has once again been self sabotaged, it would seem, by by Larry's unfortunate sort of uh, events in, involving a five foot fence. Hence why the hence why <laughs> the, the show was called that. Also, very much enjoyed Curb's singular take on 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 putting COVID in to its uh, to its. Yes. Um, and um, um, storyline, the way in which it, it it approaches COVID in this is atypical of Curb in that someone gets their comeuppance in quite a in quite an entertaining way, and also that it doesn't you know there isn't some big sort of caring storyline around COVID. <laughs> it is sort of treated as a kind of an, a, an annoyance and an example on which to demo which demonstrate that people are very often completely dreadful. So so I did I did quite enjoy their take on COVID.
1: Well, long may Larry continue with his King curmudgeonly, awkward, and uh, forthright ways. Um, *Curb Your Enthusiasm* is available on HBO in America and Sky Comedy in the UK. Coming up next: farewell to Gunter the barista, and oh, a quick fire quiz for you and Juliet. That's right after Devo. You got your-
2: the
0: I'm semi-tempted to start a parallel series to your series on this podcast of, you know, neglected indie bands with tons mm. of hits from the sort of 90s and beyond to post-punk bands who I think deserve a wider audience and wider recognition mm. than they had and also have deeper back catalogs than radio and, and music press would lead us to believe. You don't hear Praying Hands by Diva very often. You probably hear, you Wh- would most likely to hear Whip It or I Can't Get No Satisfaction, their yeah. version of that. But this is excellent. And I had a moment recently We've talked on the podcast previously about the, the perils of lending things to people and never oh, seeing yeah. them again. Um, one of my favourite book music books is Rip It Up and Start Again, um, Post-Punk 1978 to 1984, which is written by the excellent Simon Reynolds. It was a great book that helped to uh, nurture my already burgeoning interest in post-punk. And it, I would recommend it to anybody that's interested in that sort of thing. A c- tie-in CD was released at the time, which I think has since been deleted. I lent this to a friend that I used to live with, with And I've come to terms with the fact that, given it's been 11 years since we lived together, I'm probably not going to see it again. So mm. I bought a I bought a a, a virgin, or, or rather I bought a copy off eBay, and that is the second track on it. And if you can try and get hold of this, I bought this essentially because I wanted "The Devil Lives in My Husband's Body" by Paul <laughs> Salama, which you can't get anywhere else. So it, it's, I, I I might have to say I might, we might have to have this in future weeks. Um, but mm. um, yeah, it's a it's an excellent um, it's an excellent compilation. i would very much recommend it if you're interested in that sort of thing it's got the names that you would often hear like the raincoats and the slits and the human league b52s but it's also got some more interesting stuff on it too like uh, there's, a, there's a, a song by scritty of course whom we've spoken of previously in the podcast joseph k uh, the blue orchids thomas lear the associates it's a, it's a great little compilation so i'd recommend you try and dig that out from a uh, other sort of popular online purchasing sites But in the meantime hooray for devo with praying hands yeah, still very much a going concern, I, mm.
1: I've noticed. They they move into their 70s and still playing live, mainly on the festival I, circuit. I love
0: that. Are they still wearing the hat? I really hope <laughs> they're still wearing the
1: hat. still wear the uniforms, yes. I, I saw a picture, right. some photos of them of, of the, of the, in the last year or so on the festival circuit in all their outfits, yes, and, indeed.
0: And I, I must credit the, uh, the, the, the my ex-housemate, who I like very much, who did Half-Inch that CD, he did come up with one of the best jokes I've ever heard once, and we moved into a, a house share and we were sort you know moving in moving everything in and i found this uh this two-tiered bowl in the airing cupboard so of course i put it on my head to pretend mm-hmm. that i was in devo and i walked up to him and said look i'm in devo and he said with incredible speed "Q, are we not lezers <laughs> oh, I, <laughs> I know i know how edgy it's all right he's allowed it's fine oh. but uh, yes yeah. so that was that maybe this will be the name of my all-female De- devo tribute band <laughs> i think there'll be an audience <laughs> for that
1: I was saying that Curb Your Enthusiasm is my favourite TV comedy Mm. show of all time. Of course, other people may say The Office, Peep Show, 30 Rock Cheers, Alan Partridge, Frasier. But I think it's probable that very many would class Friends as their favourite TV show.
0: Mm, Quite possibly, yes.
1: Well, Jules, you're from the Friends generation. I am, apparently,
0: yeah so. So let's see how
1: you and the listener get on in our quick fire friends quiz called the one about
0: Juliet and her knowledge of friends. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know it's almost like you used to write comedy for a living, isn't it? Let's uh, <laughs> let, let's give it yeah. a go. Um, I've, I'm just going
1: to get my red pen out here because I'm going to mark you as we oh go. Oh,
0: my. On. Oh, my gosh. Right. Everyone strap in.
1: All right. Quick fire quiz. Oh. Within 10 seconds, name the six lead characters in Friends.
0: Uh, Phoebe, Rachel, Courtney, Ross, um, sorry, Phoebe, Rachel, Monica, Ross, Chandler, Joey.
1: Oh, what did you say? Courtney (laughs) Cox plays Monica. Courtney Cox, yeah, that's it. I'm going to give you, yeah, you've got six out of six there. But um, bonus points for character surnames.
0: Okay, Rachel Green, Chandler Bing, Monica and Ross, Geller, Phoebe Buffay, Joey Tribbiani.
1: Very good. Oh, twelve 12 out of 12 there. What's, I mean, multiple choice here for you and the listener. What's the name of the coffee shop where they hang out? Central Perk. You (laughs) didn't wait for the
0: multiple choice. (laughs) What were the other options?
1: Manhattan Perk, Brooklyn Perk or Central Perk?
0: Central Perk. The pun on Central Park. Got to know it. Yes,
1: indeed. Tick that one off. Um, Multiple choice. What is Ross's job? Psychiatrist, aromatherapist. Paleontologist.
0: He's a paleontologist.
1: Yes, you're doing very well here. Now, there's two more. There's a section, five sections. We've had three. I think the last two, a little bit more testing. A little tougher, yeah, for enough. Finale of season four Ross and Emily get married. Multiple choice. Where? Paris, London, or Rome?
0: Oh, I think it's London.
1: It is London. A bonus point this is really for friends aficionados bonus point what is ross's major faux pas at the wedding to emily
0: oh he calls her rachel doesn't he when he they say i married. take
1: the rachel <laughs> correct
0: extra bonus
1: point what's the name of ross's pet monkey multiple choice if you need it
0: uh it's a marceau isn't it or marcel Marcel. I'll yeah
1: give you that doing well Le- f- final question Testing you and the listener. Season five. Question mm. five. Season five. How many children does Phoebe give birth to in season five?
0: Oh, it's. Oh, OK. I, she gives birth to triplets, I she think.
1: She does.
0: For I, her, I, um, she's a surrogate mother, isn't she? For, surrogate uh, mother. For her brother.
1: I'm not expecting you to know the names of the children.
0: No, although it is, wasn't there a joke around the fact that her brother is called Frank Junior and wants to call one of the kids Frank Junior Junior, if I one remember One of them correctly. is Frank Junior
1: Junior. One is Leslie and one is Chandler. And the hardest bonus of them all. This is really, really. OK, um, you've got to I, really I, 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 this
0: friends. is going to be beyond me, I think, but I suspect our listeners Very might be so.
1: Phoebe often uses another name throughout the whole uh, series runs, uses another name as an alter ego, first introduced actually in season five. What's the name of her alter ego?
0: Well, I don't I, I'm not sure. All I do know is that she has a twin sister called Ursula in it, yes. which is based around the fact that she used to that uh, Lisa Kudrow used to play Ursula on Mad About You, who was an incidental I character love that in that. Yes. So so I will say Ursula, although I suspect it's not true.
1: Regina Falange.
0: Oh, that's where that's from. I see uh, people using that as, uh, as uh, names, on, on, uh, at names on Twitter and I never understand why. So I'm glad that that's been explained to me.
1: Full house. Well done to you and the listener for your knowledge of friends.
0: Uh, um, they, they, you know, it turns out everybody needs them. Not, along with everyone yeah. needing good neighbours as well. <laughs> well,
1: there was, there was sad news this week as we learned of the death of James Michael Tyler. Mm. He played Gunter the barista yes. in the uh, cafe, which we now know is not Manhattan Perk, um, of uh, friends, so her friends. Um, <laughs> he Brooklyn perk, yeah. Yes, he had a long-term crush on Rachel. By coincidence, James Michael Tyler was working as a barista in the Hollywood Hills when he was cast in Friends. And this was, um, no, I think the casting of him, one of the strengths of Friends Jewels, the mm. superb casting of the recurring characters. From yes, From Tom Selleck through to... Helen Baxendale.
0: Yes, I very much agree, and 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 even people that aren't necessarily big tent names mm. that weren't in it very much gave memorable performances. Do you remember the upstairs neighbor called Mr. Heckles, who uh, who they and they had a they had a there was a episode that was based around the war with Mr. Heckles, played by uh, Larry Hankin, um, who was credited as the weird man in his first appearance, and he would often complain about how noisy they were, and and it climaxes in the upstairs the friends Stamping down on the floor, and him, uh, hi, you know, sort of hammering on the ceiling with a broom, and they have this war which uh, climaxes in all of the friends looking shocked outside his apartment as he's wheeled out, having uh, having had a heart attack and died. And they're all very sad. And he, this is again, is almost Curb esque in it its is. kind of it is Schacht and Freud in that he leaves uh, Monica and Rachel everything in his will and uh, says in his will, leaves it to those two noisy girls in the apartment above me, and they're all suddenly very. Very sad about the fact they've been so horrible to him until they turn up in the in the apartment and discover that he is a hoarder and it was very much his last revenge on them that they now have to deal with sorting out <laughs> the mess that is the flat so yes it had some great little sort of pe- people in it that would turn up and also of course the ultimate side character in Friends she was not in it for many re- re- episodes but surely if you're picking out everyone's favourite side character in Friends or anything it's got to be Janice hasn't it? Chandler's, <laughs> Chandler's uh, brash girlfriend that made that, that makes appearances in a few, few episodes. Maggie Weeder's wonderful appearance. Um, uh, to use one of my, f- I can't do her accent, which is brilliantly sort of braying and her laugh, but uh, I got to by me a vow because, oh my God, as she would say frequently. It's uh, she was, that was excellent. There have been various, um, People that have had a go at predicting where the characters in Friends would be now, and I'm always a a huge fan of this. And uh, Maggie Wheeler has had a go herself at, at predicting what would have happened to Janice, who um whose storyline was resolved in it by uh, marrying the mattress king, I believe, in the um in in, in the <laughs> in the thing. And she's she's sort of said, you know, Janice is the uh is 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 you know uh, has gone on to be sort of a successful. Entrepreneur in her um, in her thing. The Seattle Times ranked Janice as the best guest character of the series in 2004. Apparently, and I very much agree with that.
1: Absolutely, um, from the dawn of. Of TV, much of the, the long-term strength of TV comedies comes from the casting of the supporting mm, cast. and we're, we're, we're sort of meant to take them for granted as they, they are there to support. But with many shows, it's hard to imagine another actor in those roles. I mean, we can go back to the major in Faulty Towers, Reginald Marsh, March, who played Jerry's boss in The Good Life. Mm. Two of my favourite supporting actors appeared in the same show. Um, only older listeners will remember the Sykes. Mm. in which Derek Guiler played Corky the policeman, and the wonderful Richard Wattis played the toffee nosed neighbour, the excellently named mm. Charles Fulbright, Fulbright Brown. Can never men- mention Richard Wattis without recalling um, that he's also famous for dying of a heart attack while dining alone in his favourite restaurant. And the relevance of that is, is because he he died halfway through his meal in oh, this restaurant. Oh, gosh, intensity. yes, I remember this. You yeah. Remember? Yeah, I mean, he obviously hadn't paid his bill because he died, and incredibly the restaurant went to the trouble of tracking down his sister, sending the bill onto her uh, but with his order for dessert removed from the bill because he died while eating his main course. I
0: think, I think that is is that that is just beyond, well that's almost up there with that's, that's the, the, the people that issued the bill. My friend has an expression for this kind of behaviour which she calls unbearable legend so behaviour <laughs> that you completely admire but is awful and actually you could argue that Curb Your Enthusiasm yeah. is sort of unbearable legend. Yeah. My my favourite ever example of unbearable legend behaviour, by the way. Well, firstly, Kate Moss um, being tipped off um, pit, being tipped off a flight and referring to the uh, p- pilot as basic in doing so because she was drunk and removed. But my favourite, some friends of mine went to see Handel's Messiah. Um, I think it was at Glyndebourne. And they were queuing up at the bar at halftime, whenever it was. And there was a lady in front of them um, that was obviously buying champagne. And a very polite young man behind the bar said, I'm so sorry, madam, uh, we're out with Moeysh and on is Bollinger okay instead and she replied absolutely not and walked away <laughs> <laughs> And that, that is unbearable legend isn't it yeah. so yes I mean, we will file that, that That issuing someone a bill and it's also the sort of thing that Larry David would do as well David, I think because David. he would see it as you know as, as he's owed that money and did it in parallel a storyline in the first episode of Curb in this season so, so yes very big fan of that restaurant's unbearable legend behaviour sympathies to the family that got the bill I think <laughs>
1: um you're an absolute expert on the simpsons and i think the simpsons has brought us more superb supporting characters than any other show
0: I mean, if I wanted to tell you about all the supporting characters in the Simpsons that were good, this podcast would be a four hour epic. (laughs) I think But the thing that is the big strength of the Simpsons is that, yes, the family themselves are brilliant and all very enduring characters, but the reason it's had the longevity that it's had. Now you could argue that, you know, later series has not been anywhere near as good, but is that they created this whole universe in which they live. And there are so many memorable characters, the kids that Bart and Lisa are at school with the teachers, the brilliance that is Edna Krabappel's kind of <laughs> deep fried cynicism. Even her colleague Miss Hoover, who is Lisa's very who's very uh, resentful of the fact that Lisa is so intelligent. Principal Skinner is the, you know, the the you know, you could do a sitcom on the school, couldn't you? And the teachers, yeah. the, the, the angry Scottish groundskeeper, Scott Groundskeeper Willie. Um, it's, there are so many there's just so many dynamics in it. The fact that that they develop all of the sort of families as well. So not only are the side characters in it, they also have their own lives. There could be a sitcom on Apu and his wife and their octuplets. I mean, you know, the fact that that he that he runs the the, the convenience store and has this sort of storyline in himself. I mean, I I just the fact the fact that we that we we see behind the Krusty the Clown, the TV crowd, who is possibly one of my favourite ever incidental characters. The fact that we learn that he's Jewish, that we meet his rabbi father. Um, we experience Krusty's bar mitzvah as an adult, which is televised on TV. And then we mourn the death of his father in later episodes. It's so it's so great that they that they've kind of, you know, you've got all these all these characters you know the 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 fact that that you could do a sitcom on Mr Burns that owns the nuclear plant and the fact that his gay assistant is in love with him I mean that is a sort of a that's 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 an offshoot in itself it's I could sit here all day and tell you about those characters and that's what mate that's how you can sustain 33 seasons of something that can be up to 20 episodes per season. There's no way they could have done that if it was just about, you know, the family and occasionally the people they met. It is is superlative, I think.
1: Sideshow Bob, Bleeding Gums yes. Murphy, and the Kent fact that Brockman. Sideshow
0: Bob is the fact that Sideshow Bob is is played by Kelsey Grammer, and then they had I don't know if you see the episode where his brother Cecil turns up, who is voiced yes. who is voiced yes. by by um it's uh, David I can never get this brother's name know, right um, Fraser Fide. Pierce. Hyde, yes. Hyde, whatever is, David Hyde Pierce, yes. I think his name is. They turn up and they there's a scene where they go to the restaurant and they use the Fraser music and they have the sort of the cards to announce the scene. Like you say, it's it's just you know it's just so brilliant, isn't it? It's it's just uh, the, it, it, you you could talk about uh, you know the fact that the neighbours are so annoying and the fact that that we that we mourn the death of Ned Flanders' wife and that becomes a storyline in a later episodes. Him dating again, it is it's just grand, isn't it? Kent Brockman is used. So the, the, the fact that, you know, the, and again, if you're talking about Ken Brockman, you've then got to talk about Artie pie in the Sky, the resentful newsman that gives the traffic reports and there's a great scene where the two of them argue about how much Kent Brockman's house is is worth and uh, Kent Brockman goes don't hate me because I bought at the right time Artie <laughs> where's my right time Kent? you know the fact that, that he had these silly exchanges that are so memorable they they, they cut to kent giving a, about to go live at a scene and you just hear him going no I won't chip in for a birthday cake for that jackass Artie fry and but we never know we never know the fact we just we, we're told just enough (laughs) I mean, The Simpsons, I think in later years, you can almost see this is part of the struggle. They had excellent side characters and of course, the very sad death of Phil Hartman. Um, who d- died in a domestic incident with his wife? Um, he did the, some of the brilliant early characters of Troy McClure, of Lionel Hutz, and also the sad death of uh, Doris Grau who was Lunch Lady Doris, who is is, is as, as as the excellent website Zombie Simpsons put it, there are many characters in The Simpsons that are not much good at their jobs, but are more than willing to half ass it for a paycheck, and <laughs> and she is one of them. And and Zombie Simpsons, the website that basically argues that it stopped being good after about ten or. 11 seasons said and I think that's true that those two actors brought a lot of soul to their side characters and of course since they've, they've passed they've tried to introduce more side characters into The Simpsons in later years but some of them aren't that great you know there's there's old oh, Gil has been introduced as this kind of slightly desperate sort of grit you know it's a person that's trying to graft at a job and can never quite make it and I do I lack the sort of, I, I miss the earlier side characters that have much more humanity they have brought Lunch Lady Doris back voiced by someone else who is herself apparently the mother of a squeaky voice teen who's the rather pimpled chap that often turns up put upon working in fast food food restaurants i mean the fact that every character brings more side characters with them is probably why even if it's not quite as good as it was it will keep going all the time that they manage to bring everyone's families in is is you know it's it's a it's a, a a mark of success it's a formula for genius but you have to do it well and i think that largely the simpsons does
1: Totally agree. I mean, it was one of the great beauties. Um, if you've got, say, 20 minutes to kill or something like that, and you switch on the TV and The Simpsons is on, you oh. just know that you're going to, you know, it, that 20 minutes is just going to fly by, by and you're just going to sort of love every every second of it. it and the it thing looks- is, so the, got- the, just you mentioning the characters' names there, as soon as you said, you know, like Kent Brockman um, or Bob or whatever, you know, I start sort of chuckling to myself because just the mention <laughs> of their names makes you know, Absolutely. them.
0: Because they're so well drawn, aren't like the fact that the minute that you say Mayor you know, Mayor Diamond Joe Quimby is this sort of byword for corruption, and yeah. you know that you're gonna see him in the in ye, and also again all of the names of the business in it. Everyone, I think others oh, that watch The Simpsons can instantly picture ye oldie off ramp in the uh, the motel in which uh, in which <laughs> Quimby always seems to be found. With uh, <laughs> my favorite being him being found with a high pitched girl, um, high pitched voiced girl, because there were definitely this was the episode where planes kept going over, and once they stopped, the girl kind of said, "Oh, Joe, it's so great they stopped." And he goes, "Ah, oh, if I'd if i know you sounded like that, I would never have built you that opera house." So it's <laughs> it's, it's kind of you know all these ridiculous little yeah. things in them, and I think often it's a. It's always it's interesting when you. So they've never made any. Well, I said they never really made any spin off of The Simpsons. This is the genius at which The Simpsons operates. There is one episode of The Simpsons called The Simpsons Spin Off Showcase, in which they do spin offs. So there's one where they put Chief Wiggum and and uh, Skinner, or as they call him in this skinny boy, in this kind of Miami Vice style buddy police comedy. And uh, it is. It, I mean, I love the fact that it manages to satirize itself in having these spin offs. They have the the love you know they have the love tester which is grandpa um you know voicing the voice of the love detecting machine in moe's bar i mean it satirizes itself i mean the 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 simpsons theme is a hybrid of, of various different tv themes including the honeymooners and the flintstones it's 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 almost too good, really. I I I I almost can't, you know. I I, it's, I almost can't handle how good The Simpsons is sometimes. I must admit. But but any other program would have done loads of spin-offs. All of those characters <laughs> would have had their own things. And it's always interesting when you watch a show, who gets a spin-off and who doesn't. Friends spin-off was Joey, and that went on for longer than I thought it would, frankly. But then having said that, for every Frasier there is a green green grass, isn't there? Oh, no, yes,
1: very, very, very good point.
0: Coming right up, can a shock
1: jock be too shocking? That's next after this lovely new track from Leela James.
3: You know love ain't gotta be this hard. Why you making it so complicated?
1: This is the lead track, the first single from her new album uh, this year, almost unknown over here in the UK, but her albums always do well in the States from the album See Me, Leela James and Complicated.
0: That was very nice. I wasn't familiar with that until you picked Mm. it for this week and I enjoyed it very much.
1: Shock, shocks. Uh, It's a relatively Mm. new term, meaning radio presenters who go out out of their way to deliberately offend and indeed, of course, shock. Most shock shocks seem to be men, and most seem to broadcast in America, Australia, and to a limited degree in the UK. I can remember way back in the 80s in America listening to Howard Stern, then on mm. local radio, and I was amazed at what he seemed to be getting away with at the time. In a weird move, he went to Sirius uh, Satellite Station in 2004, Mm. where he would be under almost no control. And since then, he's mellowed his style and crediting years in psychotherapy for doing so. But generally shop shops come to our attention when they go, go too far and things go wrong as with uh, russell brand and jonathan mm. Ross, and that yes. awful example when two australian djs called a hospital in london and pressed a nurse to give private information about the duchess of cambridge with oh i remember
3: that that was yeah.
1: terrible over here in the uk this week a bloke called steve allen who mm. does a graveyard shift on uh, lbc got caught up in a tangle after he made some unkind comments about Tilly Ramsey, a contestant Mm. in Strictly Come Dancing in America. It's known as Dancing with the Stars. Jules... Do we need do we this Steve Allen fellow on the radio and also, second question, what happened to the Be Kind movement after the, the, um, the sort of alleged bullying and har- harassment of Caroline Flack?
0: Well, quite. That died a death, didn't it? Yes. Um, it's 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 a bizarre one, isn't it, Shock Jocks? It's it's almost, in a way, I, I don't particularly feel sorry for Steve Allen and his comments, which weren't very kind, as you say, although counterpoint to this text message of my mother last night describing Strictly Come Dance because it was going on. I was sort of going going in and out of the room. Tilly Ramsey has her career completely because of who her father is. Oh, that indeed. That is, I think that's, I think that's reasonable to say. She started off as a, as a program that they made about the Ramsey family for CBBC, I think, or one of those right. channels. And so she sort of dances on this. Having said that, that does not justify Steve Allen's comments. I don't think. And it's a little bit, I don't feel sorry for shock jocks, but equally they are hired to do that thing. Aren't they? And they are hired, you know, they are hired to shock. And I suspect are encouraged to shock by their employers. Yeah. Uh, and 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 then when they do do that, the employers go, "Oh, we've got to fire you now because you've done what we employed you to do." So, I, I mean, I I you know that's the only extent to which I have a little bit of sympathy. Having said that, you know, like you. I I'd, I'd find it a bit strange that people can be unpleasant for a living really and, yes. and 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 can still make you know and this isn't just confined to radio you know Katie Hopkins some of Sarah Vine's very provocative columns and and I think you can tell there's a difference between people having an opinion that I really don't agree with. Like, for example, I would use Julia Hartley Brewer probably as a as an example of that. And I, I, you know, I there are sometimes there are stones people make that I find really difficult and I don't agree with, but I do it set their 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 sort of right to make them. When people are deliberately saying things that they know that are perverse, that they probably don't even believe in, but they're saying yeah. it to sort of go, oh, look at me. Aren't I incredibly shocking? Whoa, you know. And I do find that really tedious, I must admit. So I don't have sympathy for people that get sacked in those circumstances. I I mean, do we need shock jocks? I don't know. I mean, there's the the Wikipedia um, uh, 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 definition of shock jock is really interesting, I think, because it it demonstrates that we can use it in two different ways. Um, So they've said, confusingly, the term is used in two broad, yet sometimes overlapping contexts. So the first one, which I think we're both familiar with, the radio announcer who deliberately makes outrageous, controversial or shocking statements, or does boundary-pushing stunts to improve ratings. Now, Howard Stern is the ultimate example of that, I would say. But it also offers us a second sort of context. The political radio announcer who has an emotional outburst in response to a controversial government policy decision, or I would say something that's happened in the news. And sometimes, those moments can be really moving and really interesting. I remember listening to Five Live the breakfast show with Rachel Burden and Nicky Campbell, the day after the terrible uh, Manchester bombings at the Ariana Grande concert oh, in which yeah. some young people had died. And he spoke very movingly, and I know Nicky Campbell is, you know, he, he's, a would say, a friend of the podcast. He's been, <laughs> he's come up before, but, um, but yeah, he, he very movingly spoke about, you know, how his, he being, you know, his family had bought tickets to one of their children to their first concert. I can't remember who it was. It might have been Bieber or something like that, a similarish artist. And, and you know imagining you know it was a situation that was very close to home for them and how easily it could have you know it could have gone wrong for them and he became quite emotional and struggled to continue and Rachel Burden then did what she does so excellently but she sort of came in and kind of moved things on but i found that very moving that that you know that that uh, uh, con- I a mean, uh, describe that, that
1: it, as shock shock though no no
0: no sorry but but as in as in okay so as in sort of responding to something that's in the news and i mm. wouldn't want to lose a spontaneous no. reaction sorry so I'm not calling Nikki a shotcaller, but but I wouldn't want to use that. spot I wouldn't want to lose that spontaneous reaction. And sometimes I think it is okay if you're. There's a difference between people being on the BBC and a difference between people being on LBC. And there was a very interesting appearance by Sheila Fogarty, who went from the BBC to LBC on the Fortunately podcast some time ago, in which she spoke to uh, Glover and Garvey about. The transition and the fact that she'd been so used to having to be impartial for so long on the BBC and then all of a sudden when she was on L P C she could actually express her own opinions on things. And when she was having ins, she could actually say, this is what I think about this. So in a way, although I completely admire and, and accept the need for the BBC's sort of impartiality... I wouldn't want to lose a world in which it is actually quite refreshing to hear a, a, a radio host go, well, do you know what? This is rubbish and this is why this is rubbish. And of course, I would use James O'Brien on LBC as an example of that. It is really interesting to listen to that. What I don't really want to hear and and, you know, and, to, and to have people like Nikki Campbell be able to react mm. very well to, to, to things that have happened. What I'm not so interested in, in people, is people sort of, you know, going, oh, look at me or people saying really unpleasant things. And this, again, feeds into the satire conversation that we had a few weeks ago people just being really unpleasant for the sake of it in the hope that they sort of drive drive ratings up although I would also place the blame on the people that employ those people and give them the brief that that's what they have to do I don't think it serves anyone really
1: I can't help feeling that many as as you refer to, many, if not most, heads of broadcasting at radio stations privately rub their hands with glee yes. when controversy brings their station or a presenter into the news. Steve Allen, for example, has been running this form of shop shop mm. stuff for about 40 years, and his comments about Tilly Ramsey are mild compared to topics he's raised over the years. And again, I rather fear his listening figures will go up as a result of mm. this latest controversy. And That maybe speaks depressing volumes for what passes as humour. It's the same. It's the same mentality that had Little Britain at the top of the viewing figures in time, and more recently the odious uh, Mrs. Browns boys, you know, there's, there's a sizable audience for this tripe.
0: There is. And that that is depressing. like said. though, interestingly, the follow up to uh, Little Britain, was it called Come Fly With Me?
1: Yes, it was. Yeah,
0: that that died a death. That did not that 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 I mean, firstly, some of the uh, you know, as a friend of mine said when we was listening to the podcast, in which we talked about it previously, it was shocking that I was even allowed at the time, never mind, yes. you know, looking back on it. But interestingly, that didn't last long and I can sense that is only because it didn't get the viewing figures yeah. Had it, I know, it, you know you can have people moaning in, in you know opinion comments about something being in poor taste but ultimately as you say it's the figures that count and there is a sort of calculation I think amongst commissioning editors and things like that that you know you sort of bake in the controversy that you get but if you get higher viewing figures you know to some extent you know if you put them on a scales higher viewing figures are heavier aren't they so that sort of you think oh well in which case then we'll go on that side we'll go on that that side of the of the scales really so so like you say it is it is depressing and having said that i'm not a fan of mrs brown's boys at all i think it's a ridiculous program and i really tried and i don't think it's my issue is i don't think it's very good but having no. said that having been forced to watch an episode round someone's house once i wouldn't necessarily say it was mean throughout there are occasional moments of of humanity in it I'm i'm not a fan at all i don't think it's very good but I, I think there are slightly. I don't know. I don't. I don't think it's it's that bad in the sense that I don't think it's all bile. I could be wrong on that because I don't really watch it. But um. But yeah, it's it is a it's a tricky one, like you say. And I think that if it, And I think that's why it's because it's not entirely like that. I think that's why it's retained viewing figures. I do think people eventually vote with their feet. You can go too far, and I think that come flying with an example of that. If more people have watched it, it probably would have stayed on.
1: Yeah. Oh, yeah, I'm sure. Sure, you're right. Thanks very much for listening this week. Lovely to have you along.
0: Yes, big up to the listening massive. Thank you. Uh,
1: And if you wish to cheer up your Halloween evening, here's a way of doing so, Jules.
0: Absolutely, yes. Well, I say this, I do my smooth sailing radio show like I usually do on Sunday evenings between 7 and 9 p.m. on my Mixer channel. You go to mixlermixlr.com and search my name, Juliet Harris, and you find the channel there. If you go to Showreel, if you're willing to scroll back through the past shows, you can find my Halloween special from last year, which was not a smooth sailing branded show. It was just that I'm going to do a Halloween show. And I have to say, it's one of the best things I think I've ever produced. I was really pleased with it. So so if you want three hours of particularly spooky Halloween fun, do that. If you want just two hours of radio with occasional Halloween references, then I would recommend you listening this evening.
1: Playing us out, only one of the greatest songs ever...
0: Well, we do like to spoil you around these parts where we can. And I had my bargain of the week this week, along with that excellent Rip It Up compilation. Um, I but I follow various accounts on Twitter that have sort of cheap vinyl deals. And I managed to come across the soundtrack on vinyl to Jackie Brown by Quentin Tarantino for just 13 of your English pounds, Terrence. And I was very pleased with this as business goes. I could have picked any song from this soundtrack, frankly. But I think a song that that jumps out in terms of everybody associating it with this film particularly. Um, I, I love this song. All of Tarantino's uh, Car- soundtracks are great. Um, I think Jackie Brown might be the best ever. I also think it might be his best film, as much as I love Pulp Fiction. But, um, but I, this is such an evocative track and is used to great effect in this film. Uh, these are the Delphonics and Didn't I Blow Your Mind This Time. I give my
2: heart and soul